Oh, good morning. Looking out at a sunny spring morning here in Hawke's Bay. Before I head off to the U.S. for a couple weeks of sales and events. Um, I should post this before the, or probably right around the time we're doing three nights in a row in Philadelphia area. Uh, one in Northern Liberties, Heritage. Check that out online. Probably be some spots open for that. Uh, and then a really nice dinner on Wednesday the 20th in uh, 20th of September in, at Savona on the main line in, outside of Philadelphia and then the main line very posh area outside of Philly and then uh, 21st bringing it all back home to McCrossin's Tavern uh, there might be some tables outside I hear it's pretty much fully booked but it's a party come join at this stage don't expect to get a table unless it's a bit later <clears throat> but we'll be um debuting a bunch of wines there as well as uh including the viognier and the rosé might get some sneak peeks of the viognier and some some of the events before but that and then i'm going to have a cheeky bottle of the testify red which is a new premium malbec that we're going to release later in the year but i'll have a sneak peek of that but anyway uh yeah philly should be really fun i'll be up in new york the week before popping around but no events planned up there just really focused on getting the wine to the people into some restaurants and um and some wine shops and stuff so anyway i don't want to keep it too long this intro today i'm sure you're all happy to hear that uh as usual, I'll just say uh, visit decibelwines.com. Use the promo code DBPODCAST to get 10% off any of your orders. Uh, what else? Australia, keep an eye out. We've got a distributor there. Things are looking really promising for that. Uh, really, All the wines are going to go across the ditch into Australia, so uh, starting in Sydney and spreading from there. But uh, anyway, on to... The podcast we did today, I don't want to, uh, again, intro too long because we spoke for about an hour. I really got into it with Hayden Penny uh, talking about organics and uh, state of the industry here in Hawks Bay and really trying to be progressive. It was just a great conversation. He's a friend and, uh, you know, we see eye to eye on a lot of things and we're... Um, but, you know, he's a curious guy as I am and, and it was just a really good conversation. Uh, a little bit about Hayden is you can check out uh, just Supernatural Wines, as he pointed out on his uh, in the conversation. You can find the wines throughout America now online. Uh, they've got a beautiful tasting room up in uh, Tiawanga. But Hayden also does make wines. He helps out Aunt Mackenzie quite a bit. So if you see some of those Aunt Mackenzie wines out there and which by default means he helps out with those Asker and wines, which they just won a, a big aromatic award. No, <laughs> no uh, surprise because Ant and Hayden are involved that you're going to see an uptick in those wines as well. But his main uh, production is with Supernatural Wines and taking care of that vineyard, which is a uh, organic vineyard here in Hawks Bay. Gorgeous little spot. And <clears throat> um, yeah, just... Uh, again, a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll talk soon. Hey, 
um, I started looking at uh, our, you know, some of the previous episodes I did to revisit, and you were definitely, it's probably you and Gordon, who Gordon I talked to during the Give a Growls one that I've gotten to know a lot better since then, and then, uh, but you, unique to Gordon, have changed a lot that you were doing you know first of all i didn't know you that much it was everything we talked about was where you come from where all your experience and everything but so much has happened since then with uh some really interesting projects you're part of now mm-hmm. and so yeah man wanted to sit down and see how you're doing uh, yeah, cool. on the record you on know? the record yeah no it's good for you officially you know <laughs> so what is going on you know oh what's going on at the moment uh lots of stuff um Main project now is the Supernatural Wine Company, so um, eight hectares up in the the Tuk Valley, um, growing organically up there, and yeah, things there are going really well. It's um, we were one of the first in New Zealand to start producing orange wines, mm-hmm. and initially in 2013 when we started, we were I don't know we might even still be the largest producer of orange wines in the country um so that's been really fun that sort of came about just through the very very small organic community in hawks bay yes um which we will get to yeah and um yeah they approached me to make some wines in 13 and um i had been in italy previously while i was at eit and was introduced to the style and they were keen to go down that route and um yeah it just seemed really exciting and what do you think the, you know, outside of, as it relates to skin fermented and orange wines, the difference between Italian and New Zealand? I mean, obviously we have more, some would say brighter fruit here and think, do you think that expresses itself more and or, yeah, yeah. or lends itself more towards that style? Yeah, well, we, when we, when we sort of came up with the idea, you know, we had both um, tasted these wines and they're really hit and miss you know you can get some absolutely stunning ones and you can get some really bad ones yeah and so what we wanted to do is to um, give a give a true expression of sight in the cleanest clearest possible way that we could so um, you know to me a skin fermented wine is is the the pinnacle of goodness from the land you know if you think of uh, vegetable skin or something like that that holds all the goodness mm. um you know you have to think about the grape the same and um, you extract that through the red wine making process but with white wines in general um you miss out on it so um yeah i think in new zealand we just get a cleaner i guess expression of uh, through these wines i mean you know, you look at the Georgian and the northern Italian wines that are in this style and, you know, the vines are 150, yeah. 200 years old. <laughs> it's a you different know, story. It's, it's just, it's we're not in that ballpark. But what we're trying to do is show a really clean version, New Zealand version of the of that style of wine. Um, and which style, what are you guys doing? Just, I, I'm pretty sure I know, but just for the people listening. Um, so we're doing, now we're doing Four different Sauvignon Blancs. So we do the Supernatural, awesome. <laughs> which is our, uh, which is I guess our most commercial um, style of wine. Um, it spends a little bit of time on skins pre-press, but then after that, it's um, it's sort of off its skins before it starts fermenting. Then we do a um, skin fermented Sauvignon Blanc, which gets a couple of weeks on skins, and then spends the rest of its life in stainless steel 
and gets a little bit of sulfur before it's bottled. And then we do a skin for me. Oh, hold on. We got to go over the names though. Cause the names are cool. Yeah, we gotta, yeah. The names are cool. So that, that one that's, um, gets a little bit of sulfur is called green glow. Green glow. Yeah. So yeah, the, um, the green from the Sauvignon Blanc grape and the glow from the glow of the wine that you get from that skin contact. Mm. Um, and then we do another skin fermented Sauvignon Blanc, which uh, is aged in barrel, and that goes to bottle with no sulphur. Is that and all neutral oak or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just old oak. Yeah. And we call that minus 220, 220 being the um, preservative number for sulphur dioxide, so mm-hmm. minus 220, no sulphur dioxide, that sort of play on it. Um, so that's been really cool. We didn't make that this year just because that needs pretty exquisite grapes to um, – in yep. fact, we didn't make any of the skin-fermented wines this year just due to the season. Um, it's one of those things that if you're going to leave it on the skins for an extended period of time, they need to be in Clean. good condition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the fourth one, which we made for the first time this year, is the Super Nat, which is our uh, pet net. So a natural sparkling Sauvignon Blanc. So that's just bottled under crown cap at 15 grams per litre and the, uh, the ferment finishes in the bottle to give it its fizz. I've done that by accident before. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. uh, not by accident, but not by choice, I should say. Yeah. I had to leave for harvest uh, while well, sales trip and then harvest and it wasn't quite finished yet. Yeah. So I just actually, right before you got here, I gave some to uh, one of the vineyard guys over at Paratua that I had, still had left. He's like, oh, that fizzy one. My, my wife really likes that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's been, it's been a big hit. We, um, we put it out to our interna- international distribution network, and we only did 1,500 litres of it. So, you know, what's that? 170 cases or something. Yeah, yeah. and we sold, um, well, we got orders for about three times that. Yeah, um, internationally. I can so, um, just with a bit of social media around our launch with our distributor and bits and pieces like that, um, Stephen Wong from Wellington wrote a little piece for us about it, about what he thought about it, and we sent that out to our distributors. And yeah, it's gone. So good. That's a good. <laughs> so, that's a good thing. You know, we're considering we only harvested it in March. Um, it's, yeah, that's, it's that's good for the cash it's, flow. It's great. <laughs> so, so that's a rare thing in, in yeah, wine. I mean, it's the, it's the hot thing in, in the natural wine movement at the moment is the pet nets. So oh, I think it's so. fun and, and cool. Yeah. And, and like I think even probably for those people that are less educated or don't care or aren't into it, that's probably a really easy one to just let them get into and like, yeah. oh, sure, sparkling wine, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, the, the cloudiness freaks them out sometimes because it is, you know, it's like a bottle-aged beer. It's the, the yeah. all the leaves are from the ferment are still in the bottle and things. But um, it's just a really fun, easy drinking, you know, it's only 11.5%. Yeah, it's so great. So it's, it's on the deck. It's, it's not going to make it to summer then. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's, it's like a yeah. late winter drink. You got to... Yeah. But you, I suppose you don't want to wait to release it either if they're chomping at the bit for it. Yeah, and I mean, our New Zealand distributor has it. Oh, you yeah. Know, it's just that we don't have any more to sell to anyone else. Oh, that's cool. Because it's so, all been spoken for. So, so if you're, yeah. uh, you know, sashaying from cafe and bar in Auckland, you might be able to get a, a glass of this yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Keep an, keep an eye out for totally. it. Totally, yeah. On the website, there's a list of all the stockers. So, um, and if not, you can, I think the public still can buy direct from Great Little Vineyards hmm. um, in Auckland as well. Yeah. So check them out online. And um, back to the styles of wines we do, we also do a Pinot Gris. 
so I skinned for me to Pinot Gris, so it's um, pink in colour, um, and made this similar to our um, to our Green Glow, and that one's called Spook Light. Yeah, that's I like that one a so, lot. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool wine, and um, named after a uh, a unexplained light phenomenon in the states somewhere. Um, they see this hope, light at uh, the end of the I road. I hope it's not the south because this could be very on PC. <laughs> I don't know if you know some old uh, derogatory things. But yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll leave that one alone for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't go there. But um, yeah, so this this light's been um, is called the Spook Light. Yeah, and I think Greg um, may have mentioned it to me that it's somewhere up Minnesota. Or I think Minnesota. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's. Um, yeah, and the colour is just similar to the colour that, that we get in the bottle, so that's why um, staying with our supernatural theme, we went with went with that one. So yeah, those are the the wines we do, and um, with this year being as um, tough as it was, we've also now released a um, slightly lower priced Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Gris under our Pacific Potion label. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just sort of trying to get more into that glass pour. Sort of price model. Yeah, the, uh, and I think I think what's cool pass. about uh, and I, I probably would have been uh, happy to even sit down with uh, Greg. So we'll we'll get to that in a second. But um, well, we talk about it now. Actually, I think it's really cool what you two guys have going on, and that uh, you have somebody you work with who is out there in the market and you know part of the story and hmm. helping sell it. But one of the really cool things that I think you guys do that I like to do is like see what happens and like don't be scared to like release something different and like every year we have to make at least these wines and this you know and the market and the wine consumer changes evolves so quickly especially if you know you guys aren't making a lot of wine no you might as well just try to make something that's going to sell and then people are going to enjoy and you're honest about it you're like hey this year we couldn't do it so we're just we're going to give you this other thing that's really cool you know yeah and the authenticity and what we're doing is a really important part of what we do you know we don't we don't want to put um a skin fermented pinot gris on the on the shelf that we're not happy with and we can't stand next to so we just looked at okay this is the season you know you every grower regardless of what they're growing fights mother nature you can't control her she she's rolled this dice and we're just going to run with that and uh, we spoke to our distributors um before we harvested and said look this is what we think we're going to do stylistically where do we need these wines to sit at this price point in this market? Blah blah blah, and got feedback on things like residual oh, you guys sugar. You are actually and, running a business here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, there's there's just no room for holding stock in, in a company no. our size. You know, hold, holding stock kills you. Yeah, um, and it was um, it was really important to to make these wines that we could sell through, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. So we need to, we needed to start. Instead of starting at the vineyard, we needed to start at the other end, at the market end, and m- Move work backwards, our way backwards. Yeah. So both of those Pacific Potion wines are 11 to 11.5% alcohol, so just nice, lightweight. You can't be afraid to do that. I had yeah. to do that in 13 with Savvy as well. It's like, if it's a good wine, it's not going to matter. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I mean, that they are really good wines. They're not yeah. going to um, light the world up. Mm. You know, but um, but they're really nice wines that just fit really nicely into that glass pour market. Um, I think there's something to be learned too from. I don't know if it's like if you could say show business or like the one thing I see with maybe like stand up comedians or um, definitely in the music industry though is where I kind of learned it that it's not 
it's obviously good to change pace and put out different pieces. You know, you say this is our art or it's something different in different years, but it's also like, it's not the worst thing to go away for a little while, like to, to, or to just step back a little bit and go like, all right, we've been releasing this one. We're going to step back for a few months and then come out hard with something new Mm. and different. And then, you know, and then, uh, you know, the next season you come back with that. Oh yeah. That was that one I really liked a year ago or two years ago. And, uh, it just provide you know, it adds a little excitement to the brand, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the true definition of terroir or or Turanga Wai Wai is to to express what your site gives provides, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and we, we could have brought those grapes in and added some sugar and fattened them up a bit and done this and and done that to it, but that you lose your story. Yeah, you know, you lose your story when. Every year they taste the same. So we don't get, there's no such thing as the same season anymore. No. You know? and, and part of what we do is to, to try and show that every wine has a story. You know, And th- this is why we made these wines, because this and that happened. And th- this year we did these wines and because of this, this and this. You know, and It's a really important part of, um, of what we do in that sort of natural organic sort of sector is we we have to be true to the land you know and we can't we can't zhuzh these wines up to make them look like something that they're not it's no point yeah it's not um that said about uh not holding stock do you foresee reds down the road for for that range or um look we'd like we'd love to um but on our current site up on the heavy clays and things it's just not if you had your, spot. if you had your, uh, I suppose my question more is even uh, all things, you know, considered what would be your, you know, wh- or what varietal you think would go or style wine would you love to make in the, I don't know, supernatural range or whatever? Um, I think something like a sort of a, like a fleshy Cabernet Franc from the Bridge Power Triangle that doesn't see any wood, slightly salty, mm. you know, something you know, something like that, something a bit um, a bit different, you know, I think would be really where we would see that going. But um, you know, we we grow on a hillside which only I think seven or eight percent of the country's viticulture is on is on hillsides. So ideally we'd like to find another hillside site to go along with that. Um, but for us, as was previously mentioned, the um, organic wine community in Hooks Bay is tiny, and yeah. there's um, you're going to have to do it yourself. Or, yeah, there's yeah. no option yeah. really to buy organic fruit in Hooks Bay. Mm. Um, outside well, of a couple of smaller guys that do it, them, do it themselves. So. Yeah, I guess to get more into it, because my my question, um, you guys are certified BioGrow, right? Yep. Um, do you, and maybe it's because of you know the clay soils you're on and the fact that uh, was that site established organically? Uh, it's got a really long history of organic growing. Um, the previous owner grew organically there from 1989. Um, during the change of ownership, um, when Greg and his family initially acquired the site, they didn't really have the the know-how to mm. to to run the block, and they kind of. Um, they leased it out, and it was run conventionally for a few years. And then um, in 2010, they reverted back to organics. So this run of organics hasn't been that long, but um, certainly the history of the property is a yeah, long there's, organic run. Hopefully those few years didn't destroy your whole soil. Oh, no, and, and they, they certainly didn't. You know, The, th- the thing with um, 
conventional growing is that it, it's you know it's it's not an immediate degradation of, yeah, of property. Totally. You know, it, it's that ongoing use of those chemicals that causes the damage, not one or two applications of it. So I guess, you know, the thing that I'm, I've been thinking more about it and I've just been read like grasp the nettle and, Mm -hmm. you know, I know it's the right way to go. I'm pushing my growers to go in that way as well. I've even got uh, one of Hawks Bay's bigger, well, not bigger, but more known growers not far behind my house here who's decided to dry farm and uh, not weed spray for the Viognier this year. I think that's a step in the right direction. And um, But I think everybody's, like, a little scared. They don't understand. They hear these stories about, oh, well, they tried to switch organic and, you know, the crop load dropped and they had this problem, this and that. But from everything that I read and have experienced is it's about your soil management and that's why biodynamics are i think so many people who don't understand it even a lot of growers think like well there's organic and then biodynamics is like organics on steroids or something when actually biodynamics is a way to achieve organic Mm. and it's a way to just you know it's like a system to uh to achieve not having to spray and do all these other and within that you know you can do tons of other things like you know cultivate the soil and this and that so the thing that people sort of don't understand about organics is that it's it's not the simple matter of just stopping spraying you know it's a whole different mindset it becomes a focus on soil health and vine health you know and so when you take from a soil, whether it be a veggie garden, whether it be a vineyard, whether it be anything else, you have to put back. And that's a really important concept that people don't get with um, with organics. You know, they say, I stopped weed spraying and um, fertilising for three years and my crop load went down. So, well, did you use any compost? Did you use any um, soil stimulants? Did you? No. Oh, no. You know, so within organics, there's a lot of things you can still put on the soil. Yeah. You know, the likes of seaweed, the likes of fermented fish, you know. There's there's so many things that you need to be putting in. And when you're already starting from a depleted situation, you don't just need to put back what you're taking. You need to make up. You need to make up for, for what you're doing. So that do you guys compost out there or how? Because I know it's like it's, like it's a, a little bit of a gray area for how much you're allowed to do and what you're legally you're allowed to do and things. yeah we don't use a lot of compost we have um reasonably heavy clay yeah, because of the, that's kind of what i was getting at the and, beginning is, yeah. and so what we do is we do a um, maintenance i guess type of program where we green manure so we sow crops we had crops going this week which will grow through until the middle of december and then we'll cut them down and turn them back in and every year we do every second row of that so every two to three years, every row's getting a um, a crop turned back into it. So that helps with our organic matter levels. And then from there, we are basically running a biological system. So it's all about feeding the microbes in the soil so the microbes work better and more efficiently in breaking down that organic matter to release what the plants need. We still do use um, not fertilisers but the thing, things like um, guano, you know, like bird poo mm-hmm. as, a, as a phosphate source and um, things like that. So there's, you know, and lime. 
things that so aren't to help with the detri- calcium. They're going to do the job and not detriment yeah. the system. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's. Um, I mean, we do a lot of work on soil testing. You know, so we test our soils and we figure out what we, in an ideal world, they'd look like and how we can take small steps towards it. We never try and fix it in a year. It's just a conscious decision to okay, this is what we need to work towards. Might change the decision on what plants we put in the next year in the green manure crop. And then when the green manure crop is turned in, it's then in the autumn, it's re-sown back into a, um, a legume-based um, permanent cover, which we then mow with a side-throwing mower, and it throws the cuttings under the vine. So that acts like a little bit of a mulch, a little, mm. little bit more nutrient. And, um, yeah, so the system we run, I always tell people it's, it's organic by default. You know, we use a lot of the biodynamic um, preparations and I use the moon a lot mm. but I would never claim to be biodynamic yeah well, um, I, I think it's uh, I, I, I get what you're saying I think like uh, one of the things that pointed out to me recently was like there's some people out there making some false claims unfortunately which doesn't help guys like you who are doing all the real work and everything Yeah, and then there's also people out there who like Atarangi, who's doing all that kind of stuff, but just don't aren't certified or and have been doing it that way since for a long, long time. Yeah, and just because it's the right thing to do, and they've realized over time that it's the best way to manage it, and they get the best crop. And um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I think more and more, you know, we come up with these. I'm not saying certifications are wrong or, or anything like that, but it is a lot for consumers to swallow, and they're just yeah. like, "What am I looking at? And what's this certification? I don't understand this." And you know, you can't add any sulfur for organic stuff to the U.S., but you can to a degree in New Zealand. And but you know, there's all these different things to get your head around. But the one advantage we have nowadays is we have the internet, and we have an ability to tell our story through our wines. And just be honest and say, like, this one's conventional. This one's, you know, we're doing it as close to organic as we can, but then this is why. And, yeah. you know, there's plenty of people out there, particularly when you're only making so much wine and you have people that are reaching for your wine, that they're going to do the research and read about it, you know. Yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, I commend anyone who's doing anything that gets them even towards sustainability. You know, sustainability is a great first step. Yeah, it's not the be all and end all in, in my opinion, but it's but it's a great first step to to towards um, having less impact on the land. What really frustrates me is the people who um, claim organic status without being certified, and then say, "Oh, we're too small; we can't afford to be certified." You know, that's just absolute rubbish. Yeah, if yeah, we can do it at, at eight hectares, yeah, totally. you know, anyone can do it. It's not that expensive to do. Mm. Um, you, you get audited every year. You, you get, you know, some kind of authenticity in what your claim is. And I think that's um, really important. I know there's a lot of people out there in the New Zealand industry who are anti-certification. But what other way do we have of of guaranteeing to the customer you know otherwise it's your word versus mine yeah yeah. you know and i think that's that's just too hard and in 95 percent of cases that word is true you know and what these growers are doing is organic without being certified but it's the five percent left over who jump on the bandwagon that kills it yeah and the only way to stop that five percent jumping on the bandwagon is by saying to claim organic status you have to be certified yeah, well, certainly you don't. 
yeah, that's crazy talk if you're trying to claim it, you know. Oh, well, there's plenty who do. Yeah. You know, there's um, there's plenty of utes uh, driving around Hawke's Bay with some claims on them that you'd um, <laughs> that, that you'd dispute quite um, yeah. quite a lot if you actually had a look at this breed Iris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and and all it does is just um, waters down the idea. it waters down what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, because I mean, we have an organic audit that they tell you know to audit the vineyard the winery because we make the wine off site um under sub licensee um plus our exporting organic status and they say that should be a full eight to ten hour day for that order you know and ours last four hours yeah you know because we are just so far away from that line we don't push the line and you know we are as i said before organic by default you know what what we do is my my system is just built off what I think is the best for the soil with the theory, happy soil, happy vine, happy vine, happy grape, happy grape, happy wine. Mm. Now, and I got to think too, like your first year is probably a longer audit. And after that you're like, well, I just know what I'm, you know, I know, you know, it's yeah. probably more paperwork shit than anything. Yeah, it is. You know? And then now I know that scares people, the, the stuff now, but the biogrow, I'm not sure about a sure quality, but biogrow now is almost all online. So getting permission to use anything, which you need prior to using anything in the vineyard or the winery, you do by logging on, you go into your portal, you click on what you want, you put the reasons why in, it goes away, and as long as it's a certified product, your permission is instantaneous. Yeah. You know, so it's it's not hard no. to do any, anymore, you know, and I think that that part of it puts people off, and I think that 1970, 1980 vision of organics also puts people off which i also don't agree with you know organics is not doing nothing yeah yeah it's organic because i haven't touched it for yeah. for three years you know that yeah. that's that's not what we want to build the organic brand on no i think if anything you're doing you're in your vineyard more you're doing yeah more proactive you know you're not just like passing through with a spray and then see yeah. you later or something you know? yeah i'm not sure i've never sprayed weed spray in my life mm-hmm. on a vineyard to tell you the truth but the um i imagine you tick along quite nicely doing two rows at a time on a quad bike or a tractor at five or six k's an hour or something i've just finished our undervine cultivation which Saw has that. taken me 50 hours to do eight hectares mm. you know it's it's work it's work, man. It's looking at the back window the whole time and getting a sore neck, and mm. you know. So it's um, and you know the the skeptics would say, well, that's way more tractor use. You know, look at um, look at the diesel you're burning and and that kind of thing. And I think that's that's all valid points when it comes to organics. You know, I I had a um, gotta get a horse, man. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to do that, but. Um, but you know we do we're doing a native regeneration project in the gully of our of our place at the moment, and um, I'm I'm happy that, that I think we that's are, what it is the full picture. It's like okay, yeah, we're going to burn some extra diesel, but maybe we put some solar in or something. You yeah. know, and we make it up another way. And and again, it's about just communicating that. And, and it's the consciousness of it. It's yeah. the fact that I know that I've used the, that much diesel, and you know, it doesn't sit well with me. But it's it has to be done. Yeah, you know, so um, you have to make that up in other ways. Yeah, totally. And I, um, I had a the natural wine festival last year. Um, I had a disagreement with someone about um, mechanical harvesting because if you mechanically harvest um, your fruit, you can't go in these 
natural wine shows um, because they consider that to be an unnatural process. Um, and I said, well, but surely if we look at carbon credit situations and you look at, um, you know, the, this, the same amount that would take us seven or eight hours to harvest with a harvester, because we do machine harvest the fruit that goes into the supernatural yep. wine, um, that would take five days of 20 pickers to, to pick that same volume of, of grapes, you know, and you look at how much diesel you use and look at... To get know, them there. To get them there, to get them back, blah, blah, blah. And then when you get the fruit back to the winery, it's got to go through the distemmer where it comes out distemmed from the machine. And, you know, the machine um, runs for seven hours compared to a truck every day and the tractor every day and blah, blah, blah. I said, I think you'd find that machine picking is actually less of an impact as far as carbon goes than hand-picking, that, that volume. Yeah. And they said to me, but this is about being natural, not carbon neutral. And I just thought that's so short-sighted. Well, what is natural? You know, like, what, like, why? Well, yeah. Yeah. That's well, a whole that other mean? discussion, what is natural, yeah. but that's their definition. And I just kind of thought, how, how can that be that you can, as long as you tick these boxes, you can call yourself natural with no consideration for the actual impact of your business. Yeah, I, you're, I not, just, you're not seeing the forest through the trees. I think there's some... Certainly, some uh, political arguments these days going through like that, where yeah, you know you're yeah. being pedantic and you're you're looking at an issue from the wrong direction, and it's like, well, let's not look at it this way. Let's look at it scientifically and yeah. and as as a whole. Yeah, and then, and then if you can't use a machine harvester, can you use a machine uh, trimmer? Yeah. Or do you have to do it with secateurs? Yeah, exactly. Do you, can you use a press in the winery because yeah. that's using power yeah you know and that's not traditional yeah i think so, it's just like it's a new piece of technology which you know if anything we should be using all this great technology to achieve <laughs> lower carbon input and to yeah. achieve and these know, machines efficiency. these days are phenomenal yeah they, they're, the they're fruit that you get out of them is amazing and you know it, it certainly doesn't phase me in the slightest using a machine picker when I'm calling my wines what what, what we call them, you know. Well, put it this way. You're, we're all trying to make great wine and say you had, you know, they've come out with these new uh, blowers that come through mm. and they just blow all the leaf and all the, uh, you know, spores and, and, and all yeah. trash. And, you know, you tell me that that's worse than, you know, coming in with a horse and spraying or something you know what i mean yeah. like it's that that's an extreme example but like yeah. you know you you want but to on, use yeah it. on that theory if they if they say that that's using technology then as you say we all need to be using horses yeah you yeah know? and we all need to be distemming the grapes by hand to be able to call them natural yeah so yeah, yeah. i mean they 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 have, they have to set those guidelines for those natural wine fears and i totally appreciate that and, you know, you can argue with their, which sulfur level they should use, blah, blah, blah. But that figure's just got to be stuck in the sand. That's just, it is what it is. But the the machine harvesting thing really... Yeah, that's a weird one. ...lit my wick. Yeah, you know, especially was, because you're talking about... I, I think, like, you know, um, I don't know, sometimes I might be a hippie at heart, but I think there's definitely some... some uh, some hippies can be Nazis, you know what I mean? And they, and they, you're just like, they see a big machine and that looks all modern and they just don't see the warmth in it or anything. But, mm -hmm. 
it's just different strokes for different folks. And it's like, we're trying to achieve the best result to be, you know, to not use as much energy. And, yeah. and you know, we're all talking about saving this planet and everything. And, yeah. and maybe if, if the whole industry agreed to pay us, you know, $3 extra per bottle. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> and not, and still sell the same volumes, maybe we could hand pick it. Well, but I, the know, wine goes to a price point, which is which to is that fixed it, it could be it could be working in a, a different direction with some of the other. You know, I mentioned politics earlier, but some of the other things going on in in New Zealand and particularly Hawke's Bay now with water conservation. With uh, you know, I think the weed spray thing is uh, the t- clock is ticking. Everybody knows it, and uh, you're just putting your head in the sand if you're not trying to come up with a new way. Um, you know, the pressure bombing with the, with the, the water, uh, the irrigation is like, I mean, we, that was so evident how out of control irrigation is probably in New Zealand as a whole. And, uh, you know, it's, people are just trying, they're just denying it for what mm. is inevitable. And it's like, uh, you know, and we, can, we, we can do this. We can be smart enough to figure out a way, you know, mm. certainly I've seen some, in the 10, nine, 10, 10 vintages I've been here, I've seen some amazing pivots and changes and, and uh, quality upticks and all that kind of stuff and, you know, machinery and innovation and all this. And it's like, you know, we could if, – if the industry just took their head out of the sand and just decided like, yeah, we prob- we know Wee's brain's bad. Like what can we do? Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a little of that conversation going on. Yeah. But there's definitely some some old timers dragging their feet and everything, you know. Yeah, and no, I mean Hawke's Bay is most evident for it, you know. You and your I went to the organic conference a couple of months ago, and, and it was almost embarrassing mm. the the level of organic uptake in Hawke's Bay. You know, most of the rest of the country is, you know, that eight to sort of twelve percent of the industry, um, with a name of being 20% organic by 2020. Um, Hawke's Bay is, I think, about two and a half. Yeah, I think it goes back to that. It's an old industry here. Um, yep. For Even though New Zealand is a very young country, this is the oldest wine region, and there's just... Uh, it's just the way you know the way some certain people are doing it. Yeah, you know? and the, the way the industry was established here was at a time when, you know, the farmers, or what became viticulturists, had been brought up through those... 50s and 60s period when you know everything was going to be saved by the spray yeah you know oh you have a problem with that fungus well we've got a spray a systemic spray now that you can spray on it'll stick in this vine and you'll never get that disease again and that's how they were brought up you know spray that grass there and it'll die for weeks months Mm. you know you only have to spray it twice a year and you'll never see grass on that at all and they just went awesome yeah but, you know, machinery and technology has come so far now to help us deal with those issues without using those things that it's um, so evident to, to the likes of you and I and that our, you know, get-togethers we have with people more in our generation, everyone is interested in organics, you know. Everyone is at least keen to... Do it see, a better way, yeah. Do it a better way, you know. But did you, you talk sp- to that older group... Did I show you that... Um weed eater thing the guy from italy showed me that he's de- he's developed with a company no he was like he was studying at plant and food uh he's a guy from uh frioli and uh and a ridiculous uh like uh, hardcore metal fan <laughs> viticulturist awesome guy crazy dude 
Uh, not my kind of music, but uh, good <laughs> what on you. Yeah, play? sure. Go, go for it, dude. Uh, but it was so sensitive. There's a video on uh, on YouTube of it. It was, uh, I mean, it was just ripping up the weeds underneath, but it was so sensitive it was pulling back on even baby vines. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know that's got to be a matter of time before something like that can come along. Yeah, and that's what I mean about the technology making it so much easier for us now, you know. And when they first started trying to get away from systemic herbicides, you know, they were using these blades on the front of tractors that it was up to the driver to swing in and out of mm. of vines in it, you know. They were losing 10% per pass kind of thing, and everyone just went, you know what, this is too hard. Yeah. But you look at the hydraulic sensors on, on these bits of equipment now and they're amazing mm. you know and they're and they're, they're, it's just going to get better well those you know? and those companies will uh they'll adjust it's like any corporation people think like corporations are bad or which you know they can be uh because they certainly can be soulless at times but they also will go to the wave of the people and the money. Mm. So if the industry... And they've did, got massive R&D budgets. Yeah. And know, so if and the people say, like, this is a problem it. we have across the, the range in Hawke's Bay, uh, we need to do it. And again, there is some of that going on. Like I mentioned that, um, that you know, uh, trash blower, whatever you want to yeah. call it. There's some really cool stuff that can go on the palanks and things that are... Uh, and, you know, leaf eaters and stuff, which again... I mean, I've leaf plucked for entire summers, man. Yeah. <laughs> on on Giblet Gravels vines that were probably didn't even have as much leaves as some of this stuff in the triangle. Yeah. And it was, you know, man, it was rough where these machines can come through and do, you know, an 80% leaf pluck in yeah. hours, you know? Exactly, yeah. But, I mean, um, you, you only have to look at the difference, as we were talking about before, with the m- machine harvesters. Yeah. Look at the first ones, you know. They brought in half the vines with them. You know, now they're picked and can be optically sorted and put in your bin with nothing, Well, not even a leaf. At Paratua you know? this past year, uh, because we have like a first-generation Palanque from like 06 or something, and, you know, this, the guy there is an awesome mechanic and he's kept it alive, and it, it is still good for um, trimming and all that kind of stuff, but harvesting, I mean, you're pulling out, you're ripping up vines and everything. It's crazy yeah. the thing, you know? So we decided, you know, with, a, you know, we trialed the, uh, the newer harvesters on some of the blocks and it was like the time and the result was like just a no brainer. Mm. So, and I, that's in 10 years. Yeah. You know, imagine what it's going to be like in another 10 years. Imagine how good the sensors on these bits of equipment are going to be in another 10 years. That's crazy. You know, and it'll probably be, they'll probably be GPS driven. You won't even have to sit in them. Yeah. You know, you'll just have it ticking away, cultivating under your vines while you're at home sleeping. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> have a beer, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Coffee, mate? Sure, sure. Totally. But, um, yeah, it's – it's, and I think as more of that technology comes on board, there will be more people who are keen to try it because they – you know, it's that old mentality, oh, I, tr- I tried that, you know, 10 years ago and it didn't work. So, well, you, you know, you just can't say that in this industry because things are moving so quickly. Well, it'll hit – it's going to – what's happening now and what we're seeing with, uh, like, the water conservation order and um, the market itself for wines is um, it'll hit, start hitting people in the pocket. Mm. And that's when they'll adjust quickly. Yeah. And, uh, and 
you know, there's some younger brands. And then, you know, give credit to George Fistonich, who's trying to go 100% organic. And oh, I think yeah. by 2020, right? He's trying to do it mm. by then as well. And I ran into him at an event, and uh, I didn't want to directly quote him on Twitter, but I'll roughly directly quote him here because he said to me, uh, point blank, he goes, you know, we were unsure, but we knew we had to fight it. And the first few years, some of our buys definitely took a dip in, um, in output. But by now, by far, our, our organic blocks are our most resilient and the best fruits starting to come off of there now. And I was just like, well, that's pretty promising to hear from the third or fourth biggest winery in the country, you know. So. Yeah, and, and I always tell people that converting a vineyard from conventional to organics is like um, taking a junkie off drugs. Yeah. You know, for those first couple of years, the the vineyard or in the junkie's case, the body just goes into this massive decline where it's just fighting everything and, and it's struggling and it goes into this really weak stage and it happens in the, the vines. You know, you see for those first two to three years, the vines can really struggle and, and wonder what the hell's going on. But as you come out the other side of that, what they turn into is stronger, more resistant Mm. higher cropping well not higher than the conventional but higher than they do go through that period well they're probably and cropping that, properly and you probably have yeah. less work to do yeah to thin yeah, and it's, and a, it's amazing how many people say to me you know i i trim my block three times a year and we it costs us this much to crop thin down to this level but i don't want to go organic because then we'll get that level of fruit you know, and they're the same. Yeah, exactly. So it'll save you three trims and yeah, and the fruit thinning though. Yeah, well, that, that's what that water uh, pressure bomb thing too was showing. Yes, yeah. you know. But it's the it's the look. You know, people see that vine that's just reached the top wire in a whole season. They go, "Oh, that's unhealthy." Yeah. And to me, that's like if it hits the top wire in the season, it's like that's perfect. Well, look at you all know, those I vines. Had to trim it. Look I at those vines in Barolo and uh, or in Piedmonte and. Uh, and uh, Bordeaux, even Bordeaux, you know, they're they're not like huge, big, vigorous vines, yeah. you know. And I, granted, we probably get a little more rain uh, and younger soils and younger you know, soils and all that. Soils, but but we the, way overwater them. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we're way um, overwater them. Yeah, so we're back recording now. That was that's the modern, uh, the beauty of modern technology. As we were discussing, that we yes. can pause this and. We're not on live radio, but speaking of podcasts, one of the things I was going to mention is if you haven't heard it, and uh, for people listening out there, this you know probably my top one or two favorite podcasts is Radio Lab, which comes out of New York, and um, they just do some amazing pieces. Uh, you know, some of it, a lot of science-based stuff, but. Uh, some political stuff and things like that, but it's it tends to sit off into this area that you know I think you understand why it's called Radio Lab because it's it's in this experimental, pro- very progressive state of things. And uh, this, I mean, I was in the winery working last year and I listened. To it and I'm I almost dropped like a barrel when I was just listening to what they were talking about. They had this woman on, uh, and I, I I'll find you the episode and send it to you because it's so important to what. And, and mind-blowing to what you're doing is uh, it was a woman who I think she was in Oregon or Washington State whose family is in forestry she got you know like a PhD in you know uh, forestry or something and so she her job within that company her family company was replanting uh, forest and the idea that uh, you know you don't replant with all the same tree you know you mix it up and and that 
that that actually benefits the health of the whole forest is if you have you know which simple stuff that isn't that crazy but when she started diving deeper into it um she started really looking at um the microflora and everything in the soil and it was just mind-blowing stuff like the communication under the soil so the the type of stuff that you know they kind of knew some of the stuff existed but they were actually starting somehow track pulses for you know if there was a bug at one end of the forest starting to attack the trees by the time it got a third of the way through the forest the trees had somehow changed their sap flavor to be a little more bitter so that the bugs didn't like it and you're just like mm. what and 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 all these things about you know like um mycorrhizal fungi maybe. yeah it's, and they were just like you know a ba- there was this one spot mind. where bears would always come and eat salmon and they would find traces of salmon and trees like 100 meters away mm. because there's a symbiotic relationship where these um these they're they're uh mining minerals under the ground for the trees and the trees are giving them back like sugars and things mm-hmm. and carbohydrates and it was just like what the and and the cool thing that she said was when you actually uh like zoomed out on a forest it looks like a brain mm-hmm. underneath the the tr- yeah. you know the whole forest yeah, mycorrhizal fungi uh an absolute mind blow i mean the the way that they work and the way they connect under the soil is it's trippy phenomenal it's like psychedelics man it's yeah. like you know it's like you're just like what the hell is going on yeah. you know yeah. and, and, that, and that's you know though when i mentioned earlier the biological system you know that's what it's about it's about feeding all of that stuff you know it's about encouraging its its growth you know and we use cultivation for certain things you know and that's not ideal for it but we use it moderately and, and only when we need to because of that as well but you know you you um, pick up a handful of soil from our, our vineyard and it is alive. Yeah, yeah. Is, There's a lot of dead soil if you look around. Yeah, there really is. And, it, and it's it's not just the top, you know. It goes, it goes deeper than that. The, as the grass dies and is replenished by itself or mowed or anything, that, that break, organic matter that breaks down on the top of the soil brings all those bugs up into that topsoil area. And turns it into soil you mm. know, and if you haven't got any of that there the life goes and it's um it's really sad a vineyard i pass every day has a grass strip between the rows of about 30 centimeters you know their weed strip is <laughs> two and a half meters under each fine <laughs> and i just uh, it makes me cry man yeah. it's um that it really upsets me because it's you know they're obviously doing it because they just don't they don't want to work. They don't yeah. want to mow. They don't yeah. want to. You know, they don't want to do any of that stuff. You know, yeah. and this is an incredibly vigorous vineyard, and it's a, it's a huge canopy. And I just think, you know, even if they were to grow something under there, you know, put some clover down or put something down there to create a little bit of competition, they'd probably find that they'd have to trim once a year instead of five times or whatever they bloody do. It's, <laughs> it's just. It's incredible there, but it's just, I mean, different mentality. I mean, I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not anti-conventional growing as such. I, I don't like the concept and I don't want to do it myself, but, and I understand that it's, um, you know, it's every farmer's choice how they, how they grow. Yeah, but, but I, th- I think within that there's reasonable stuff and there's, and I think it's pretty reasonable to say like, mm, man, probably shouldn't weed spray if i can find another way to do it by now you know like okay sins of the past that's fine 
but uh, there's probably different ways to do it now. And there's, like you said, there's solutions out there. And does nobody, you know, uh, we should, you should always be trying to get better. You know, of course you should. Yeah. You know, as soon as you stop progressing, you know, you you stop learning and you stop growing. Hmm. your minds and yeah that's it i don't know how people do it i'm like why are you in the industry or why are yeah. you doing this because you know you it certainly to, can't be doing it for money yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah you talk to so many people around hawksburg and they say oh i don't know what happened to my fruit you know i i um shoot thinned it three times and i took everything down to one bunch of shoot and you know blah blah you know talking like the old you know 15 years ago the theory was when our viticulture was so bad that we could only get one bunch of grapes ripe per cane mm. you know our viticulture in New Zealand is so amazingly good now that those it's you know you you can allow the the vine to ripen whatever the canopy allows you know it doesn't have to be one to call it reserve it doesn't have to be one bunch per shoot anymore no you know if you've got a big canopy then give it two because it's actually probably doing it more harm than good taking it down to that one that one bunch and all it does is it accelerates the ripening and this year I saw it a lot where those blocks were riper than everything else when the first load of rain hit and they just got wiped out yeah wasn't yeah, ready wasn't for, they it wasn't ripe thrown. enough to pick yeah but it was ripe enough to get Petritus really badly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as it turned out a lot of other stuff did this year as well but yeah you know, it's yeah, treating every every piece of land the same as per Richard Smart's book or or, or you know whatever is is just the days of that are so far gone, and and people just have to jump on board and assess their vineyard for what it is, where it is, what they've got planted, what rootstock they've got it on, and just change what you do to suit your vineyard. Don't worry about what the neighbours are doing and don't yeah. worry about what, you know, everyone everyone else thinks. You've just got to make it right. Yeah, and I think um, the the movement towards some uh, some more medium and boutique brands as well in Hawke's Bay will help that because they're just going to learn from their site. Mm. Uh, and, you know, obviously you said younger winemakers coming along and seeing it in other parts of the world. They uh, by doing vintages overseas and things like that, you'll you know that'll help. But it is there is something to be said that you know Hawks Bay for a while. You know the days of you know uh, some big old wineries that were here that are defunct. You know McDonald Winery, blah blah, and this and that. And there was kind of like a big industry that crashed here. And then there's there's obviously some big players here now as well. Yeah. I mean we we are learning here. You know? yeah. Two two years ago at the organic conference, I was the only person from Hawkes Bay, apart from a couple of the villa guys who took their whole staff. Yeah, you know this year there were a few more, which is great. Yeah. You know, I was wrapped. Yeah, to see some other Hawkes Bay people there. You know, there, but still. This year, there were more Australians at the conference than people. Oh, from it's Hawks gone. Bay. It's gone off there. I was just you there, know, and there's some some uh, some really good wines. Like, but for the Australians to come over here in larger numbers than anyone went from Hawkes Bay, yeah, it's, was, not, it's not good. Oh yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. I think, like I said, uh, unfortunately, it's maybe not consciousness, but uh, money and uh, demand. 
to uh, from the consumer mm-hmm. and it, the, the find, demand's that, a funny one though with organics I find because well, I mean I don't, the, I don't, the, the push think towards people are going to buy organic wine I think it's more like the demand for quality authenticity yeah. you know so that'll push things more to like you know I know for a fact the younger generation you know and a lot of restaurants you know I just saw uh, you know a guy from winery i mentioned earlier that i really like and i won't say what it's because i don't want it, but he just said the restaurants won't even let him in the door because he's a, a big winery and there's a perception of you know certain wineries that they're not authentic or something you know yeah. and so that's what i mean by the market driving it and yeah. i don't say they're reaching for organic necessarily but they are reaching for a story authenticity well what they want to talk to you they want to say mm-hmm. you know they don't there's not you know when i really got into wines like 20 years ago when I started in my early 20s to like reach out from it was like well who's cake bread and and who's Grigachills and who who are these winery and who's these famous Bordeaux producers and all that and that's not like that with younger drinkers now they're just like who's this interesting and it's not necessarily I want an organic wine or I want an orange wine or anything there's some of that and there's interest there but there's also just like what's this story and this interesting wine from this weird place and this guy and this Armenian wine that, you know, or something that is, and this guy's a crazy dude and, you know, but his family's been doing it for years or this guy took a chance and he decided to put a vineyard in the middle of Oregon where they never thought grapes could be land. And I want to taste that wine and, you know, tell the story. Uh, and that bleeds into, you know, what's your story with just your, your brand, you know, with, with, you know, your big company, what are you doing? And I think that's why somebody like Villa will continue to be successful, um, uh, internationally is because they, they take chances with varietals and then they take chances, you know, then they're, they're doing the organic thing where, and they're progressive, Yeah, you know, for a big company, they are really interested in organics. They're really interested in the latest piece of technology, you know, they're, and, bang for buck wise their wines are awesome and, and and i'm not you know anti those kind of companies because i mean those kind of companies have got new zealand wine into markets that we could have never dreamed of yeah. 20 years ago you know by mainly through Sauvignon blanc obviously but um and ins and in as far as i'm concerned totally. and and they broke markets for the rest of new zealand that um you know more than we can count yeah, and I, I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, and I, and I still have tons of friends who uh, will email me or text me and like, "Hey, I found this wine, and it'll be X Y Z giant winery brand from New Zealand." And what, what do you think of that one? And I'm like, "Good start. Just start yeah. there, dude. You know, <laughs> yeah. have some of that, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, we'll get you something else a little soon. You know, and then, yeah. but yeah, go for it, man. And, yeah, and man. it's ten bucks, and who yeah. cares? Whatever you know? introduces them to it, man. Yeah. I think we really. You know, the brand of New Zealand wine needs to really get behind each other, you know, and the fact that our small guys support those big guys in that way, you know, we it would be nice to see some reciprocal support, mm. you know, rather than, oh, there's a little guy, let's crush him, mm. you know. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, I, I think the, the time right now in the New Zealand wine industry is so exciting. Yeah, it is. You know, there's yeah. so much going on and there's so many people finding their feet and there's so many markets now that are accessible to New Zealand wines, you know. And we've found, especially in the States, that the, the, the Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc spot on most wine lists now 
is no longer does it need to be from Marlborough. It, no, it, it is a New Zealand, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, Blanc, totally. Which, you know, for us, when 80% of our production is um, Sauvignon Blanc from Hawke's Bay, you know, we're really up against it. I'm on the team too, years man. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now it's like everyone's so much more receptive to it and the amount of people who I've met at tastings who go, sorry, I don't drink Sammy on Blanc, so we'll just try it, you know, and I'll see if I can change your mind. And they taste it and go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, because we don't we do not do it like they do down there. And, and as I said before, I've got a lot of respect for what they do down there, but people who grow in Hawke's Bay and try and make it look like that... No, I ju- it's do just it. you no, know why do good. that? No, you know, it, 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 Hawke's Bay Sauvignon Blanc is so d- delicious. That was the first thing I discovered when yeah. I moved here that people were like, and I always tell people that I'm like, I was like, oh, this is a little hidden secret about New Zealand wine is you know domestically people like you know I always talk to people the first six months I was here and they're like, well, if I'm drinking savvy, I like a Hawke's Bay one, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, that passion fruit. And a little, you know, I think it's food friendly and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and just and just slightly less acid forward, and it's slightly more approachable. And, but still New Zealand. Which but is still cool. New Zealand, and yeah. still very Sauvignon Blanc, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, seeing that in the world is is so encouraging, and it's that classic case of Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc has opened that door for us. And once people like or trust that brand, they then start looking outside of that and I think that's um, that's why I just think it's such an exciting time to be in the industry I mean our, our little 8 hectare vineyard now is in untold states through the US um, Canada's going gangbusters um, the owner's in China at the moment doing his thing over there it's in Hong Kong it's in the UK it's in probably 10 or 12 countries through mainland Europe you know and this is just our little it's crazy. Eight hectare vineyard in the Tukitook Valley, you know, growing Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. It's, it, yeah. It takes a lot of hard work, you know, and I'm not meaning from me, I'm meaning from Greg, the owner. He, yeah, he's he out is there on the road it. and he is, yeah. he's doing it, you know, and that's, um, and I think I see the mistakes so often in small wineries in New Zealand where they go, when we get an order big enough to justify us visiting a market we will visit that market and no, it's just soon, as soon as the door cracks open you got to burst through yeah oh, and you've yeah. got you got to go over there and crack the door open yeah. you know yeah. spend some money on trade shows spend some yeah. money on travel you know we spend a ridiculous amount of money on travel but until we get that solid base of distribution you know we're stuffed yeah you got to do it you know you've got to do it and i would just yeah really encourage that travel and meet and tell your story because the story you tell never sounds as good as when it comes from yourself. Well, let's end on that positive note since both of us have to go pick our children up. <laughs> and uh, we got through nearly an hour there, so that was good. Yeah, cool. And uh, thanks again for doing it. I think, uh, yeah, we'll have to get I, – I do want to say on the record, I need to get an updated photo of you because the old one I have is like uh, the most pixelated one of the lot. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be hunting yeah, down. We, we can a, do that. We a new, do a new that. photo of you. No, and, thanks uh, for having me. Eh? And, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, man.
what I tell you guys, Hayden, what an interesting dude. I mean, we probably could have talked for another half an hour at least. Uh, we, as he pointed out afterward, we didn't really even get into his other projects, which I mentioned in the intro. I think I'll be speaking to Hayden again in six months' time or a year's time just to see what's going on with him. I hope he's a regular, uh, again, a curious, interesting guy. So thank you. Uh, as always, sponsored by DecibelWines.com. Use the promo code DBPODCAST to all caps. Uh, I think that matters. To get 10% off all your orders. And yeah, Australia, keep an eye out. New Zealand, we got a new distributor here. We're seeing the wines all over the show now. Here we go, guys. Cheers. Cheers.